from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. It's finally warming up here. We're starting to see the first signs of spring. Just a little. I'm done yeah, pruning well, my roses. <laughs> and Orlando is still seasonless, so there's that. But <laughs> hey, we have our seasons. It's called the different festivals of the year, which we talked about last week. Yeah. So yeah. we're we're quickly approaching a new season. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in our last episode of Connecting with Walt, Craig and I shared part one of our conversation with Disney historian and author Jim Corcus to talk about his latest book, Call Me Walt, Everything You Never Knew About Walt Disney. So if you haven't listened to that episode, it would be a good idea to go back and listen to it first. Now, Jim Corcus has written more than 20 books and hundreds of articles about all things Disney for the past 35 years. And as I mentioned before, what makes his writings unique from other writers is that the people he quotes, the stories he shares, come directly from Walt's original animators and Imagineers. So Jim frequently has stories you won't find anywhere else. And now here is the second part of our conversation with Jim. One now, one of the things I always find interesting, and you definitely write about this in your book, Call Me Walt, is um, his childhood. I mean, he had a really rough childhood. I mean, in your book, you mention and, and how he never played, and, um, and and you know his father worked so hard to to provide for the family mm-hmm. and just never quite found that golden egg. Right. And yet, and, and so what I always look for in, in books like yours is where in that childhood is that glimpse of genius? You know, when, how did, what, was there evidence of that spark when he was a boy? Because when you think of his childhood and yet he became an adult who was playful, who was imaginative, who was all these things that you would think growing up this way, how did all of that get nurtured? <laughs> you know, uh, when when Walt died, Marty Scalar had, had this, this great quote. He said, Walt Disney was the uh, youngest man I ever knew. He was only 10 years old when he died. Um, and, and Walt is certainly that living example it, that it's never too late to have a happy childhood. And, and you're right, he, he lived, um, my gosh, it was almost like a, a Charles Dickens childhood, you know, and, and you're right, he didn't get a chance to play he, uh, uh, when he was doing the paper route, which uh, that's eight years of his, his young life. He, he's up at uh, 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning because then you have to go get the papers, then you have to deliver the papers before you even go to, 
to school at 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 seven, and and sometimes if you were late, you didn't even have time for a uh, a, a bite to eat. And then after school, uh, there's an evening edition of the papers. I, I don't think people realize that now, and so you had to go deliver that. And and on Sunday there was a you had to get up and 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 do this whole thing again. And and the Sunday paper was like four or five times the size of a regular daily paper, and you had to do this through the snow. Uh, uh, Walt told his, uh, told Diane that uh, sometimes it would just be cold and it would be icy and he would have to uh, go up these uh, wooden steps and, and one time he just slipped and fell all the way down to the bottom of the steps and he said he just started crying because he was all alone and he could cry so he cried and then he got up and went and, and uh, did that. You know, it, for breakfast in the morning, um, his dad insisted that uh, there be no butter on, on the on the bread because you could go and you could sell the butter, you know, uh, for for more for more money. And so uh, his his mom, when she would hand uh, a toast to Walt and Roy, would butter it underneath <laughs> so that the father uh, didn't see that. And Walt, of course, would only get uh, practical uh, gifts, you know. Uh, but Roy, realizing that, uh, would sometimes uh, uh, do overtime or get a, a little extra job to get some extra pennies to to get a little toy for Walt and for his younger sister uh, Ruth. Like, and and again, something simple like a top or whatever. And so Walt found great wonder and joy in 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 the simplest things uh, in in life. And then, as he uh, uh, grew older, I think he started to, to say, I'm going to have my happy childhood. I, 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 Ollie Johnson, an animator, said, you know, what we really missed was that the early Mickey Mouse was really Walt. It was everything that Walt wanted to do a, as a kid, you know, lead a, lead a band, you know, uh, uh, save a damsel in distress, you know, go on a boat, uh, things like that. He said, so the early Mickey Mouse cartoons really reflect this is what Walt wanted to do. This was this was Walt um, doing this. What really struck me was that even in later interviews, you know, when it would be to his public relations advantage to to you know bitterness or or to you know really say yes, it, it, it was a tough life, and you know it. He never, you know, it, it was like, you know, all everything that I experienced helped me to be the person that I am uh, uh, today. You know, um, uh, at Laughagrams, you know, he was living on, uh, uh, there was a Greek, uh, Laughagrams was on the second floor of this two-story building, and on the first floor there was a Greek restaurant, and he would sometimes go down there and eat on credit, and then they, at one point they cut off his credit, and one of the owners of the restaurant went up and saw Walt, you know, just sitting on the, the, the floor eating this cold can of beans. And and uh, the owner goes, oh, oh, Walt, you know, know that. And and he said Walt had a, a big smile on his face and he goes, but I like beans, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And so um, he had uh, what might be considered a Horatio Alger 
uh, life. And, and today I don't think people understand Horatio Alger, but uh, he was an author who wrote a series of books and, and Walt read them and, and, and loved them. And basically it's always the same story of um, this poor kid, you know, who is, is abused, has nothing, but because he is honest and hardworking, by the end of the book, he becomes a captain of industry or something. You know, it, it, it all turns out for him. And uh, it, when you start to read, because one of the things I, I did, uh, I did a lot of research for this Call Me Walt book, because again, you want to get it right. Um, so I, I looked at uh, magazine articles about him that were contemporary when he was uh, alive and interviews with him and um, some of those get quoted in the book, but um, all of them were, you know, he, he felt that, you know, if you're honest, if you're hardworking, you know, if you are kind to others, you are going to live happily ever after. And in fact, that whole scene in Cinderella where Mark Davis said, uh, you know, where Cinderella gets her dress he says, Walt Disney was just in tears. And it's because everything's going to work out for Cinderella. There's still going to be some speed bumps, you know? But basically, right then and there, you know, she's going to live happily ever after. And Walt wanted people to live happily ever after. So that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> what, a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful way to sort of sum up Walt. You know, well, and and again, you know, but as we talked about too, Michael, you know, he he wasn't a saint. He had a temper. In fact, mm-hmm. his brother Roy had a temper as well. And in fact, their wives, Lillian and Edna, as I mentioned in the book, called it the Disney disposition. Which, of course, came from his, uh, their father, Elias, who really had a, a, a fiery temper because uh, Elias had that... He was a really God-fearing man and he had that sense of of righteousness. And, you know... He's going to be angry and, and fight for the right, even if it's to his own, you know, disadvantage at that moment. And so um, Walt was uh, often impatient because uh, people, you know, uh, were always lagging behind him. I, I, I remember uh, one uh, uh, writer uh, uh, telling me, you know, Walt was like on a, 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 a hound dog following a trail and then he'd disappear and, and we'd keep a, on going and then he'd come back and he'd be yelling at us because he'd gone off on another trail found a better trail and we hadn't kept up we were still going on the old trail uh, following so he, he could be uh, impatient and I think one of the things that uh, caused that temper was um, uh, physical pain you know when we're in physical pain we have a tendency to to lash out, and I don't think we know how much pain Walt really was in, and I, I try to cover that I, I, in the book, and and I think most of us know. Oh yes, well he had a polo injury, and it you know it, uh, so uh, you know his, his back would uh, stiffen up, and he'd have to have a massage by the the studio nurse every night, you know, to loosen that up, and sometimes he would drink a scotch mist. But it was more than that. He had sinus problems where he had to go once or sometimes twice a week to have his sinuses drained. 
he had uh, dental problems where the side of his mouth would actually indent. And, and, there were, and they couldn't figure out what it was that was uh, uh, causing this. Um, you know, he had arthritis. And so, uh, yes, he quietly donated to arthritis foundations as well, too, you know, and arthritis charities. Um, uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, the arthritis uh, caused by that polo injury got so bad that it would send pain down his back and down his leg to the point where the leg couldn't even move sometimes. He would drag it. So uh, some people thought he looked like he was drunk. He wasn't. You know, he, he was in pain. And in fact, that last uh, cruise in British Columbia, it, it was so bad that he literally had to grab the side of his uh, pants to lift up his leg, you know, to get into the boat, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or, or over uh, something. And, and you never hear him complaining about that. In fact, those introductions uh, for his um, uh, TV show, you, you ask, have I... Did I discover things that surprised me? Uh, Harry uh, Title, who was uh, the producer, uh, Walt would sometimes wear a metal brace. That was something that surprised yes. me when I read so, that. so that he yeah. would have that that straight posture, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, so, especially you know, the last year or two of his life, he was in a, a lot of pain. But sometimes. Uh, through the rest of his life, he he had that uh, he had uh, various pain as well. He uh, had at least two nervous breakdowns, maybe more uh, uh, than that. Uh, he had a thyroid condition for uh, for a period of time, and so at the studio they came up with the uh, uh, the warning. Uh, wounded bear suit. Mm-hmm. You know, is Walt wearing his wounded bear suit today? Because uh, a wounded bear is very dangerous because a wounded bear is in pain. And if, if you poke it or, or, or surprise it or whatever, it'll lash out unexpectedly. And it, it's not because it hates you and wants to kill you. It's because it's in, in, in pain. And so uh, uh, that was that early warning system around the studio is Walt is wearing his wounded bear suit today. Or he's wearing his wounded bear suit, but it's only zipped up halfway. <laughs> You know, uh, and if Walt was in a good mood, they said, oh, well, he's wearing his yellow shoes Mm -hmm. because Mickey would wear yellow shoes and would be happy. And in fact, uh, out here in in, uh, Florida, there's a marketing group called uh, uh, Yellow Shoes. And they took that name because that was that expression of when Walt was, you know, uh, at his his best and at his happiness, happiest. but again, uh, Walt also always felt very, very uh, bad about uh, being angry at people or lashing out at people. And it's interesting that Walt often had difficulty saying, I'm sorry, but he never had any difficulty showing it. Mm-hmm. So when he yelled at, at uh, Ken Anderson for the uh, uh, Xerox in... Um, 101 Dalmatians because he thought it was scratchy, it wasn't realistic, it wasn't smooth and all that. Ken took it so personally that um, he had a heart attack. And Walt paid all of the hospital expenses, paid his salary without whatever, didn't come and push him to come back. You know, when you're ready, come back. There's always a job for you, whatever. You know, Walt knew that he could be uh, uh, tough on people. In fact, uh, um, 
He told one interviewer, yeah, there, there are times that I'm like Donald Duck. <laughs> you know, I'm just out of, out of control. He says, I try not to do that. But, um, and especially towards the end of his life, I think Walt realized, you know, uh, time was short. You know, he, he had been told by a fortune teller that he was going to die around the time of his birthday at the age of 35. So I think maybe one of the reasons that Walt pushed to try and do so many things was he felt he was living on borrowed time. Mm -hmm. And especially towards the end there, I, I think he, he noticed, you know, um, I just feel pooped lately. That's how he, he, he described it. So he wanted to get these things in the pipeline and working, whether it was uh, uh, Cal Arts or Mineral King or the Florida Project or... Uh, you know, starting to uh, assign responsibilities to other people at, at the studios, you know, so that this uh, uh, could carry on. I, I think he had that fear that, you know, this time is coming. I need to make this preparation because the most important things. Uh, uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, in the hospital, he told uh, uh, his son-in-law, Ron Miller, he, he said, you know, if I could only have another five or ten more years, I could do more things and more fantastic things than I have ever done in my entire life. Mm -hmm. You know, so even on on his hospital bed, he he was a visionary. You know, he he was looking five, ten, twenty years in the future. And in fact, when Walt passed away, um, the company actually survived on projects that Walt had in the works, and that includes films. Uh, Love Bug was, was a film that Walt had, uh, uh, you know, that came out, what, 69? But, but, but uh, it, it was one that in 63, Walt had already approved for development, and, you know, we're going to go in this direction with this, and we're going to do that, you know, and so they lived for another 10 years or more just on things that, that Walt had planned. This is, this is what we're going to build. This is what we're going to have. There are some. Uh, you talk about some of his habits. Yes. That, that some are uh, some are infamous. Like you know the uh, and, and in Saving Mr. Banks, they made a really. They showed this, but probably people who didn't know the history behind it just didn't think much of it. But there, there was the um, cough. Yes. The, the the warning cough. So. Um, and and yeah. and and uh, again, you you ask about you know are are there things that. Um, uh, you know, surprised you. Uh, the cough, in a way, uh, surprised me because uh, I just always assumed, well, that's a smoker's hack. You know, he he he, he would uh, smoke up to three packs of cigarettes a day, and uh, although that's a little misleading, he would light three packs of cigarettes, but sometimes he would hold it in his his finger and forget that he had a cigarette there, and it would burn down to the nub. Um, but I, I thought, oh, yes, well, and, and I think a lot of other people just assumed, too, well, yes, he's, that's the smoker's cough and, and, and all of that. And it was that early warning system of when he was walking down the hall, suddenly you could hear that cough and you knew that, oh, well, Walt's coming, you know, and all of that. But um, as I started to talk with people who knew him, it was like, yes, there was some of that smoker's cough, but it was almost like Walt was doing it on purpose, that it was almost like... On stage, when you see people go, <clears throat> you know, to uh, to try and get someone's attention or warn someone or, or whatever, um, 
although uh, uh, towards the end of his life, it, it seems to have been more frequent. So that obviously was the uh, the the cancer and the smoker's cough. But uh, a lot of that was Walt's way of you know letting people know he didn't want them to be surprised or uh, for that. But apparently, it was a very distinctive cough, and I wish I could uh, have have heard that. I'm sure there must be. Uh, a tape of this that the Disney Studios has. I, of course, they're not going to uh, let that out. But uh, Lillian even said, you know, I could be in this crowded room and have lost track of Walt, and I would hear that cough, and I would instantly know that was Walt, you know, because it was that distinctive. It, it, just like uh, certain cars have horns that are that, are that uh, uh, distinctive. And, um, yeah, and uh, again, you know, gosh, I, we all wish he had not taken up smoking, mm-hmm. but he did that uh, during uh, World War I. You know, I, I don't think a, a lot of us realize that uh, uh, cigarette uh, companies gave, you know, free packs of uh, uh, cigarettes to, to people uh, uh, serving overseas. And at the time, we thought, how patriotic this is, you know. They're, they're, but it was to create a, another generation of smokers who were addicted to, to uh, smoking because, uh, you know, uh, during that situation, you've got long periods of boredom interrupted by uh, short periods of very intense, you know, activity. And so uh, you get into that habit. So when you come back, you know, that, that's what you do. And, and uh, Walt realized he should stop smoking. He told people, yes, I, I know I should stop smoking, but he just wasn't able to do it. I'm sure if he had put his mind to it, he could have done it. But he didn't see any, um, uh, even on, in his hospital bed, he told Diane, he says, you know, nobody's really proven that cigarettes cause cancer, yeah. you know, and, and it's like, Walt, come on, you know, let's talk about climate change while we're at it here too, Walt, but um, uh, yeah, that, that cough was was really part of what made Walt, Walt. but he, he seemed to get into it more when he was uh, nervous or anxious or worried. You know, it seemed to come more frequently and seemed to be louder, But but basically it was to... Uh, sort of alert people at the studio. Yes, Walt, uh, you know, man is in the forest. <laughs> right. that, that was one of the codes too. Yes. Yeah, I know, and I know. I've seen this in uh, I don't know some of the I don't know television shows or maybe films that they've captured them yeah. on, and that was the the raised eyebrow. Oh. <laughs> the, and that you've uh, you talked about there, there's a funny little clip that they put together where Walt's talking about a. Um, uh, Roy did, Roy E. Disney was talking about uh, a scene for one of the nature films of the ducks uh, careening yes. into each other, and, and they put together a very humorous thing of Walt, um, you know, where, where they're talking about this mm-hmm. scene that Walt knew he saw, right. and and it was never filmed. It, it, it was never filmed, but he saw it they, in his mind. But yeah. you capture this, they, they have a few scenes of Walt with the raised eyebrow. Yeah, it, 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 it happens a lot on his... Uh, uh, introductions, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, to, to the the TV show. Uh, well, Walt had a very um, 
expressive face. You know, he didn't have a, a poker face. You could, you could tell exactly, you know, what he was thinking. And Walt was a natural actor and, um, uh, of course, was very influenced by uh, silent movie comedians. And, of course, we immediately uh, leap to uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin, but he was a huge fan of Laurel and Hardy. He was actually friends with, with Laurel and Hardy. He was he was a a fan of um, uh, uh, Harold Lloyd. In fact, many of uh, Mickey's characteristics are not Chaplin, but Harold Lloyd. You know, uh, the average nice guy suddenly thrust into this uh, uh, outrageous uh, situation. And uh, so Walt appeared in 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 uh, as a kid in in uh, Chaplin uh, contests at local theaters and. Uh, things like this, and so you know, I, I think he—that's um, uh, where he uh, got a, a lot of the the facial expressions and natural, you know, raising the eyebrow. And he he wasn't doing it on purpose; it was just something instinctual that would happen. And usually, the raising the eyebrow meant that he was displeased. You know, it, it it's like really that. Mm? Uh, but sometimes it was just he was thinking about something, and 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 uh, you know the the gears were turning, and and that uh, uh, went up. And uh, so I tried to research to see if it was a particular eyebrow. And, and in fact, I went back through clips of the uh, uh, his introductions too to see, you know, is, is it the right eyebrow that goes up? Actually, sometimes it was the right, sometimes it was the left. You know, uh, usually in the caricatures. Um, that artist drew of Walt, it was usually the uh, left eyebrow that went up. And then, of course, the other indication of his uh, irritability or his displeasure is he would tap his fingers. And if he tapped his fingers uh, um, and raised his eyebrow, you were really in trouble. But um, the tapping of the fingers showed that he was uh, impatient. So instead of him just saying, Look, I've had enough of this. Let's, you know, move on. You know, he, he just had that, and it's like, well, I'll give you guys a little more rope to see, you know, where you're going with this. But this isn't, you know, where I want to go. Yeah, that, and one of the nice things that you bring out in your book too, you humanize. I mean, talk about about Walt's sense of humor. We always <laughs> think of him as being so proper and fatherly and yeah. all that, but he had quite a sense of humor. Oh, too. oh gosh, and 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 he loved <laughs> laughing. And there's there's plenty of uh, candid uh, clips of him, you know, uh, laugh. There's interestingly enough, I haven't been able to find any film of him crying, and and he. Uh, he was such a sentimentalist that he would cry at, you know, uh, uh, very easily, but he would also laugh very easily. And, and, and there, there are, are, are things like that where he would throw his head back and, and, and uh, have, have this laugh. But, but again, he was not a um, joke teller. He, uh, either he just didn't have, I, and I'm, I'm like that. I, I love jokes, but I can't remember them. I can't remember them to tell them. Uh, I've heard some great jokes, and I wish I could share some of them right now, but I can't. And uh, with Walt, the humor more or less came from the attitude, came from an expression, came from a tone of voice, uh, came from where he, you know, would take the pauses. Although, although sometimes he could really, um, you know, uh, hit it on on the mark. Uh, Bill Justice told me the the story that. 
he was there when Walt was being interviewed by uh, a Canadian newspaper, and um, Walt Walt was sort of amused that the reporter was so serious. I, obviously, this was one of um, the reporter's first ser- big interview type things, and uh, he asked Walt, and he said, um, uh, and, 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 and by the way, how many people work at the <laughs> Disney studio? And Walt paused for a moment, and he went, about half. <laughs> <laughs> Those Charles Martin interviews are just so funny because they have a lot of the clips at the uh, yes. Walt Disney Family Museum. And I thought, how long did these go on for? Because during it, Walt's eating, Walt's yes. drinking. Walt's yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. He, he, he tells <laughs> Diane, "Yeah, bring me a beer." All, yeah. all, all of this. Yeah, and 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 again, it, it's wonderful to hear mm-hmm. that because he, he's so relaxed, he's so comfortable, he's so authentic. In fact, if if I had to describe. Walt Disney, I would describe him as as being an authentic human being, you know, uh, with that. And and thank heavens for the Disney Family Museum, right? And mm-hmm. and and letting some of this material out because again, the Disney Studio is still very concerned about the Walt Disney brand, you know. And I know that in some ways that irritated uh, Diane because. She felt that the Walt Disney uh, Studios were uh, uh, treating Walt as uh, uh, just another Disney character, you know, to slap on a mug or a or a T-shirt or uh, whatever, you know, not a living, breathing human being who um, really had uh, values that that created one of the most uh, amazing entertainment companies in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Now. We b- before we went on air, we talked about uh, some of the authors and documentaries where they seem to they want to talk about Walt as being a genius and all that, but yet they want to tear him down at the same oh, yeah. time. And well, I think that American Masters, the PBS series, right. is a really good example, example of, that. of that. You and, know, well, I, well, I wonder how much of that is just. Um, you know the American culture where we really hate our heroes. You know that that we do that fifteen minutes of fame, and then you have uh, TMZ or the National Enquirer or People Magazine or whatever. You know, go oh, and by the way, we found this report card from his third grade teacher that said he didn't play well with others. Whatever, you know. Uh, it's almost like, yes, we've got to uh, cut the feet out from under them and bring them down to, you know, the the human level. You know, nobody can be uh, that good. And and again, too, we've actually seen examples of, of people that we loved and we believed in uh, who turned out to have dark agendas. Who, who would have believed, uh, when I was growing up, I had Bill Cosby comedy mm-hmm. records. Oh, I, yeah. I went and Me I too. saw him in, in concert and I thought... This guy is the most amazing and, and, and such a warm human being. And now you hear these things and you go, holy cow, mm-hmm. what was that all about? Um, and Danny Kay. Danny Kay comes across on, on his TV shows and in his movies. It's, you know, oh my gosh, I would love to have a, a, a cup of coffee or lunch with him. And then you start to read about this and you go, my gosh, he's, he's a really terrible person at, at the uh, when you're filming the uh, introduction uh, for uh, Epcot this little old lady came up to him and said oh Mr. K I've, I've been a fan of yours you know for decades you know could could I take your picture and Danny Kay uh, took her camera and threw it on the ground and stepped on it and then walked off 
because he was irritated that uh, Disney had not put up stanchions and barriers to prevent you know these common people from coming oh to where goodness. he was where he was working. And you go, what is 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 that? In fact, uh, Ron Miller told me the story that you know the opening of uh, Epcot. You know there was a lot of rain mm-hmm. and all of this. And so, uh, you know, getting around Disney property, cast members use these little golf cart pargos. And so uh, Ron had Lillian in one of these pargos and, and drove her to the American Adventure uh, uh, Theater. And, um, you know, because they wanted to see the uh, uh, filming and, and Kay had just finished his introduction and came down and was shouting obscenities of who's blocking in his pargo so he can't you know, get backstage of American Adventure where his trailer was. You could actually, you know how that is. You could actually walk there if you oh, wanted. Yeah. But uh-huh. he was yelling and, and, and screaming, and Ron Miller came down and moved the pargo, and, and he turned to Dick Nunes, and he says, I don't want that guy on Disney property ever again. You know, and, uh, and, and so, yes, there are these people who come across as really nice, and then they've got this dark, dark side. And so I think sometimes people look at Walt Disney as, as the Disney brand, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, it's the cute little talking animals, and, it, and, and, it's, and it's children and all that. And, and Walt said, you know, I never make children's films. I make family films. Mm-hmm. I make a film for the entire family. And, and he, he was very specific that the attractions at Disneyland weren't, just to be kiddie rides, they were to be designed in such a way that an adult and a child could ride and experience it together. But um, you take a look and you go, oh, look, it's all so sweet and it's all so saccharine and, and we know that life isn't like that and, you know, uh, he must have just been interested in, in the money or he must have just been... You know, after 50 years, there, there's been no indication that... Uh, he harassed women or he uh, cheated on his wife or that he stole money or that he worked on a business deal that, you know, was to the advantage of, of just the Disney company. In fact, Roy Disney, when uh, they were working on Walt Disney World, they came to him and they said, well, Florida wants us so badly. We can do this and this and this. And Roy Disney's famous quote was, a good deal is a good deal for everyone. And he says, remember, we want to make sure that they're as happy as we are because we may have to go back to them and ask them for something else. So we want to make sure that that happens. You know, so none of this stuff has come out. And so now people are trying to make things up. You know, oh, yes, you know, uh, he, 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 he hated women. He was, he was anti-Semitic. He was racist. You know, and, and, and we were talking about, in, in the book, I devote uh, 12 separate chapters to... Uh, debunking Disney well, myths. I wanted to get into yeah. some of those um, because you you know we talked about it you know because we get a when people when like when Craig and I talk about Walt and all that I'll I'll get the inevitable emails of people trying to say oh no Walt Walt was anti-Semitic Walt mm-hmm. was a racist Walt was a misogynist even though we've had Floyd Norman on <laughs> we've had we've had Rolly Crump on we've had all these people on who have sent no, that's not true. This is our experience. Yet, these things persist. Well, be, because, uh, again, we always like to believe the worst. And, again, a good story takes on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And the more that it's repeated, the more we hear. And and I think for an entire new generation, uh, some of them are getting that from um, cartoon series like Family Guy 
and Robot Chicken, where they're they're making those jokes about, well, of course, you know, uh, Walt was a Nazi sympathizer. Well, of course, Walt, you know, hated all Jews and all that. So I came up with these 12 chapters, and I, I said, I've got to get as much documentation as I possibly can, because it's not just enough for me to say, well, Walt was a good guy. He wouldn't do this. I've got to get enough information so that those people who have, you know, relatives or friends or whatever, well, you know, I I had a friend who worked at Disney and they know that Walt, you know, da, ra, 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 ra. Uh, and you had Floyd Norman on. Floyd Norman's a, a, a very good friend, very dear friend. And, and I, uh, I, I got to interview him um, uh, in October at the Disneyana uh, fan club uh, event out in, in Anaheim. And I introduced him and I said, uh, Floyd is not just a uh, Disney legend, he's a Disney treasure. Mm-hmm. And he is. And, and boy, talk about uh, uh, somebody who is, who is 80 going on 10 years old. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that's Floyd. But one of the stories that Floyd told me that I hadn't heard before, um, which was, was great, was that uh, when he was working um, there in the, in the 50s, the uh, janitor at the Disney Studios was a black man by the name of Claude Wilson. And uh, uh, Floyd says, you know, most janitors are invisible. And especially if you're a black janitor, you know, nobody pays any attention to you whatsoever, so you overhear everything. Mm-hmm. And he said Claude, Claude never heard Walt, you know, in private or in you know, conversation with a, another artist or whatever, you know, ever make any racist comment or, or or whatever and he said he never heard any of the other artists you know talking about yeah well we don't want to do that because Walt doesn't you know care for uh, Jewish uh, people whatever and uh, Claude also was the bartender at Walt's parties at the Holmby Hills uh, estate and and Claude and uh, uh, Floyd said, yeah, Claude and I had, had many conversations, and, and these were private conversations. He said, so if there was something there, he would have told me to warn me, you know, so that I would have stayed out of, you know, uh, any of this stuff. And he says, none. And he says, I never saw any of that. And in fact, many of the top people at the Disney studio uh, were of the Jewish faith. Uh, Marty Scalar, the Sherman brothers. I, I remember sitting next to Bob Sherman when... Uh, 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 this came up and uh, it, it, this was some Disney event and I was sitting next to him and, and he leaned over to me and he said you know there was nobody more Jewish than my brother and I <laughs> you know, Walt had no problem with us at all you know Kay Kamen who was in charge of all the, the, the merchandising th- things like that and so you know, uh, even though it was common practice in those days and, and even though um most of the people who were running uh, uh, studios that were in competition with Walt, you know, were Jewish. You know, you didn't hear Walt doing that. You didn't hear Walt, you know. I, uh, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people realize Bob Gurr is gay, you know. And, and he told me Walt knew this. It wasn't a big deal for him. For Walt, it's like, can you do the job? If you can do the job, it doesn't make any difference what uh, your sex is, what your sexual preference is, what your religion is, uh, what your race is, uh, whatever. You know, uh, the only time that comes in as a factor is if you can't do the job, 
or that's hurting the studio in some way. And so, for instance, Tommy Kirk was gay. But Tommy Kirk was let go not because he was gay, but because he was in an incident with an underage boy in a public pool in Burbank. And so the Disney company had to step in and and take care of that situation. But at that particular point, you can't keep Tommy Kirk on, you know, on the payroll. But he's not being let go because he's gay. He's because he behaved badly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if uh, another animator had, you know, hit a kid in a crosswalk or whatever. You get rid of them and you don't get rid of them because, you know... Uh, of uh, who this animator is, but because you did this and this reflects badly on the studio and this is not what we want here. Right. And Walt also promoted women to positions that in those days women just... No other were, studio would put women in, in, I, I, in those positions. I know, you know, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, things that uh, people like to trot out and and... Meryl Streep, who is completely misinformed. And it's like, see, if you were a woman, you couldn't be an animator at the Disney studio. You were in ink and paint. And, you know, he wrote the uh, this letter. Well, it, that was a form letter that was sent out at every studio. Because it, especially in the 30s and the 40s, and remember, we're talking about the Depression era here, too. The, the concept was was the uh, male was the breadwinner in the family, so they should be given preference for a job, you know, because they're supporting an entire family. You know, you didn't deal, as you are today, with uh, uh, single mother families and things like that. But even then, even in the 30s and 40s, Walt is giving women opportunities. Retta Scott, who, who actually gets a credit on the film Bambi, mm-hmm. is an animator. You, you, you have women in the story department, which is the highest status position, you know, uh, at, at the Disney studio. And, and, and so when Walt brings Floyd Norman and puts him into the story department, it's like, holy cow, this is the highest position you can have at the Disney studio. That's on the same floor where Walt is, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, you have Mary Blair, you have Alice Davis, you have, and um, uh, Walt's nurse. Um, Hazel George? And, yes. Uh, he encouraged her to write music, and so she wrote all of these songs for Disney films and the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, interestingly enough, she had to do it under a pseudonym of uh, Gil George, mm-hmm. Because uh, some of the music publishing companies and all that wouldn't, you know, go with having a, a, a woman. But Walt's, you know, uh, giving her the same responsibility, the same pay, the, all of this to happen. And um, in the book, too, I, I post that um, memo that Walt sent in the, in the 1930s, uh, which basically said, um, you know, to all those in the... Uh, uh, animation and in between department has come to our attention that uh, men are using uh, foul language and making inappropriate comments in the presence of women. It has always been Walt's hope that women working at at the Disney Studio could do so, you know, in safety and without humiliation. And so this practice is to stop immediately. This is in the 1930s, before we've even heard about sexual harassment or whatever. And, and in fact, Walt um, uh, moved uh, uh, the ink and paint department away from the animators into a separate building, which 
it was referred to as the nunnery. But, but, but one of that was so that the women could do their jobs without having men hanging over and harassing them or making comments or whatever. And, and, but if they wanted to socialize, you'd do that at lunch, you'd do that after work, whatever. But at, but at work, you know, we want this pr- professional uh, uh, attitude. You know, the, the comment about, you know, Walt being uh, 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 frozen... You know, I went back and I talked with um, the president of the only cryonics company that existed in the entire world when Walt passed away. And he said, no. He, he, he said, we would have loved to have frozen Walt Disney because just of the publicity it would have given him. He said, but especially in those days, if, you, if you're going to freeze someone, you do it immediately, mm-hmm. you know, before the body starts to deteriorate. In fact, the, the best case scenario is you do it right before they just pass away. But in Walt's case, he, he was kept in the hospital bed for several hours so the family could gather, you know, and say their goodbyes and all that. You wouldn't do that if you were going to cryogenically freeze somebody. And then, uh, you know, I tracked down Walt's um, death certificate, which is, you know, public. Anybody can do that. You can... It's online. You can you can find that. And so I found who the cremator was at uh, um, uh, Forest Lawn Cemetery, you know, and his license number and, you know, the seal, the whole bit, and, and talked. And he said, no, yeah, I, I cremated Walt Disney. He said those were his wishes and those were the wishes of the families. But again, it was done very privately, you know. Only about a half dozen people showed up to his... Uh, funeral because that's the way Walt wanted it. Walt didn't. Walt hated funerals. He didn't want people to come mm-hmm. to his funeral. But again, since people hadn't seen him in the hospital, didn't know how sick he was, didn't know how badly he had deteriorated, and then you wake up one morning and he's gone, and it's like, no, this man's a force of nature. You know, it, it's like it's like Elvis. You know, you couldn't believe this is a man who has everything in the world. How could he he die in in, in his forties? You know. I've, you know, and, and so people start seeing him pop up at supermarkets and all of that. You know, he's <laughs> he's just tired of fame. And so he's just, you know, now Walt. And then the the other urban myth is that, yeah, his body is buried underneath the Pirates, Pirates of, the of the Caribbean. Caribbean yeah. and, and, and I'm going, <laughs> why are you choosing Pirates of the Caribbean? You know, and, and, and it's because that was the attraction that was being built when Walt uh-huh. passed away. So, yes, look, you've got, you know, a construction hole you can you can use here. No, no, Walt, Walt was cremated and his ashes are interred uh, uh, at Forest Lawn. And in fact, in the book, I give directions to anybody who wants to go and, and pay, pay, pay tribute. Pay, yeah. In fact, the first time I went and I paid my respects, uh, uh, as I was leaving, I, I saw this uh, a, a tall guy helping this uh, elderly woman over there. Turned out to be Lillian Disney. So I didn't introduce myself. I didn't want to d- disturb things, but it was like, oh my gosh, you know. Uh, so that's the first time I met Lillian Disney, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> or almost met Lillian Disney. So yeah. Now a source of confusion, and, and I get questions about this. And this is um, Walt's involvement with the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals. Yes, and and people have misconstrued. Why Walt was involved? What Walt's participation in that organization? So, can you explain that sure, for us? Sure, sure. This was a uh, a very conservative group, and again, uh, this was also uh, at that time period. There's this 
whole fear that um, Russia and communism are um, invading the film industry. You know, just like today we have questions about whether Russia has interfered with American elections. In in those years, there was the the fear that. Uh, uh, communists were interfering with the film industry and slipping in uh, messages and, and things like that, you know, to um, uh, corrupt the minds of, of theater audiences, you know, to make um, the concepts of communism um, more palatable, more acceptable. And, and so, um, and, and then, of course, this generates into that, that those whole McCarthy era hearings and all of that as well, um, where you know people from the film industry are pulled in, and you know, do you know any communists working in the industry, and you know, uh, all of this. And Walt hated communism; he didn't hate the Russian. It, it, it's just like if you you go back, and Walt hated the Nazis, but he didn't hate the Germans. He felt Nazism was a a, a political you know, and a uh, thing, and it wasn't, you know, who the people were themselves, that they were being given misinformation by this political party. And and the same thing with communism, that that the Russians were, were good people at, at, at the core, but communism was feeding them a bunch of hooey. And, um, you know, uh, Walt was an all-American patriot, you know, left and right. And so when friends in... Um, the entertainment industry said we're we're going to put together a uh, organization so that we can monitor, so we can find out, you know, so that we can stop this from happening. Walt said, "Yeah, I'm I'm going to participate." But again, he only participated for two years because he started to see that that was not, you know, the the core of what this this group was doing there were other things they were doing in fact this group was also very anti-semitic even though they had uh jewish members uh walter wagner did, uh, among others some writers um but walt saw wait a minute this is not what they say they're doing so i am leaving but now people go oh look this group later proved to be this, this, and this, and Walt was a part of that, so he must have believed in that. They don't go, wait a minute, as Walt finally woke up and saw, hey, wait a minute, they're not doing what they're saying. They're well, doing, they I leave. Didn't toss him out? Yes. Because, yeah, they, they, they got, because he didn't, because he protested. Yes, About yes. what they were doing, and they said, you're out of here. Yeah, but at that point, he realized, no, this this group is not doing what they say they're doing, because I pointed out to them, wait a minute, you're going the wrong way this way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so so it's like if I joined a group and it sounded like, hey, they're doing good things, you know, and then later I go, wait a minute, no, I'm leaving. And then years later, suddenly they're blowing up buildings and all that. It's like, well, Jim Corcus was a member of that group, so he believes in violence. no. I jumped out of there because I don't believe in that. But, but you know, the, the interesting thing is, is that's really the main thing that people do to bring out and say, well, he's anti-Semitic, see, because he was part of that group that was anti-Semitic. Well, as soon as he found out, he's out of there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and then they tossed him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, but... Uh, and that's what's great about this book, Call Me Walt, Everything mm-hmm. You Never Knew About Walt Disney, because there are there's so many wonderful facts in here. There's great stories. 
Um, what, well, and, and I hope it'll encourage people to do more research yeah, on their own and, exactly. and and start to look up some of these things. And, and again, there's this group that we were talking about. Okay, let's let me go Google that and find out and, and see about that. Mm-hmm. What I also like about the book, and it was something we when we were talking about that yeah. particular documentary, is everything in this book. It's you have quotes, right? Everything is from sources. It's either from Walt's words, it's from Lillian, or it's from people who knew Walt, or 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 it, it's from documents. It's from yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. In fact, there's a whole book. That, one of my favorite sections. It's way in the back. It's uh, it's memories of Walt. Yes, it's people work directly with him. There's some great little stories. In here, and, and it really yeah. humanizes him, uh-huh. doesn't it? Yeah. And again, I've been doing this for forty years, for crying out loud. And and so you know, one of the things when I I would interview an uh, Imagineer or animator, one of the things I I would say, tell me a Walt story. You know, you knew Walt. Tell tell me a Walt story so I could understand more about him. And so yeah, I've included those in the back there. Yeah, so so this is a great book, like we were talking about, just starting out. If yeah. you're like, okay, I want to know more about Walt, um, read this book, Call yeah, Me Walt. But, but again, and, you should read other books as well, yes. too, because I have no chapters on Mickey Mouse or Disneyland mm-hmm. or audio animatronics or any of that this stuff. This is about it's the just person. Walt. Yeah, it's but Walt that's the like, person. This is a good starting out book. Read, find out about the person and then read some of the other biographies we talked about to find out about his accomplishments. And you'll understand maybe what led him to those accomplishments because you've read Call Me Walt. And, and, and one of these the days man. people will be doing this uh, uh, for, for you, Michael, and they'll be coming to me and they'll go... Well, was Michael uh, really as charming and erudite and knowledgeable as he comes across on the podcast? Was he is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and um, now, are are you? Uh, well, first of all, tell our listeners how can they get this book. Well, uh, again, go go to Amazon.com. That's uh-huh. that's a good way. And you should also go to uh, ThemeParkPress.com because that will list. Uh, all of my books and any uh, forthcoming books, because uh, actually doing this podcast with Michael and Craig today, I'm I'm playing hooky because I'm working on my next book, ah. and and so uh, I, I'm I'm running away and avoiding <laughs> doing that by coming here and 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 playing and and talking about uh, uh, this. And remember to vote with your wallet because there's a uh, this book uh, as long as I've worked on it, as much information as I've put into it, there's still more about Walt. So vote with your wallet. If if this book sells well, we can have a sequel with even more, you know, Walt uh, stories because his life was just so rich, you know. He, he, was, he, he, he was a Boy Scout, you know, didn't get above the tenderfoot level, but a Boy Scout, he got an award from the Boy Scouts, the Silver Buffalo, which is the highest award mm-hmm. you can get. And he sponsored a Boy Scout troop every Monday night at the Disney studio, and he would drop in on the meetings. I did not know that. It, it's in the book. It's in the book. And, <laughs> and uh, more stories as well. And, and thank, uh, thank you both. Uh, first off, for, for keeping the Disney magic alive, for, for sharing this information with uh, uh, so many of your listeners. I hope you've enjoyed listening uh, uh, to this. I hope you enjoy 
reading my books. And thank you for keeping the magic alive. And make sure you always listen to this podcast so you can get all of those good uh, little gems and all of those little treasures. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Jim. We appreciate it. Thank you for being on Connecting as well. And we look forward to the next time you're with us. Oh, good. I hope that'll be soon. I do, too. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Craig, I always enjoy listening to Jim's stories. Yeah, and no, it's uh, <laughs> just like we said last episode. It just you never know where it's going to take you, but <laughs> always wildly entertaining. Yeah, and, and he he certainly shared some nuggets in this one. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a couple that took me by surprise, but uh, over, but really fascinating and, and entertaining yeah. i mean we could have gone on so much longer i and we considered it <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we could we maybe make this three episodes but you know what it instead we'll just uh we'll we'll wait a little while and we'll get jim back on with us and mm-hmm. take up more of his time Oh, absolutely. And the stories Jim shared are only a few of the many that are in his book, Call Me Walt, Everything You Never Knew About Walt Disney. And we'll have a link in our show notes to where you can purchase Jim's book, along with links to videos showing a younger Jim as Prospect Pat at the Magic Kingdom in 1985 and as a game show contestant on the pilot episode of The Origins Game. And now it is that time. It's time for our This Week in Disney History quiz. Of course, this is about important events of the Walt Disney Studio and the Disney theme parks and who knows what else in the world of Disney. And of course, this is so that we can share historic milestones and to stir memories and inspire conversations and to have a little fun. And and last week, of course, it was a tie. I, I helped that along just a tiny bit because I forgot the new um, rules that I had put in place. And so we're welcoming back the Diz's own Jackie Gailey to the show. Welcome back, Jackie. Hi, thank you. Welcome. So so you're here again to um, challenge your honor against um, Craig. Yay! Yeah. Very exciting. All right. It is. We're excited to have you back. So now we're going to see who's going to come out ahead here in in our and in, in this week in Disney history for the week of February 4th. Our rules are simple. You get three points if after you hear the question, you choose not to hear the multiple choice answers. You get two points if you do want to hear the multiple choice answers. Um, you get one point if I take away an incorrect answer or... If you get it wrong, and I remember, <laughs> you, the other, and you, the other person then has an opportunity to um, to answer the question, and they get one point. Okay. Is there any questions about the rules? Hopefully, I don't have any questions about the rules. And uh, <laughs> and um, so, Jackie, since you are back as our guest, I will give you the option. Um, do you want to go first or have Craig go first? I can go first this time. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, oh, and for our friends at home who are playing along uh, with the home version of our game, um, no Googling. 
Okay. Right. On February 4th, 1997, Walt Disney Production begins a five-month marketing campaign for this feature to be released in June. This is February 4th, 1997. Okay, let's see. Uh, I had just found out that I was pregnant with Zach. Congratulations. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Happy birthday, my, Zach. <laughs> yes. Date myself a hair. Um, I better do multiple choice on that one. All right. Is it A, Con Air, B, Hercules, C, Rocket Man, or D, Flubber? Mm. Oh, goodness. Uh, to ask yourself, what would have been worth a five-month marketing campaign out of those four films? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. It's hard to remember back in those days, but I, I think it would have had to have been Hercules. I can't. I don't. I can't think of any others. I wasn't terribly into that movie myself, but I think that's what it has to be. Okay. That's your final answer? Yes. You are correct. It is Hercules, a promotional traveling tour called Hercules, uh, Disney's Hercules Mega Mall Tour. Um, that w- it started, it was sponsored by Chevy Venture. They even had um, Disney's Disneyland's electrical parade ran through New York city and they had um they had created floats hercules floats for it and it was um televised that and i remember watching that on tv that's so so cool yeah yeah so excellent so jackie you're pulling ahead right away here okay so craig here you go so february 5th the united artists film modern times starring charlie chaplin was released on february 5th 1936. So, Craig, have you seen Modern Times? Uh, Like once back when I was in school. Okay, here you go. During a scene in a department store, actress Paulette Goddard picks up this item and holds it up in front of Charlie Chaplin. Well, it's Disney history, and I cannot remember this off the top of my head, but that early on, maybe uh, Mickey Mouse doll? You are absolutely correct. It was a Mickey Mouse doll that she picked up. Oh, yay. Very good. Yeah, it's been, that was purely just off the top of my head. I can't even think of that scene in there, but. Just based on what merch would have been around back then. That's the only thing that kind of made sense to me. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, at that time, you know, the Charlotte Clark was had been contracted to make the dolls. But Borgfeldt was more mass producing them based on Charlotte Clark's design. And also, um, they were a little more high end. But so Disney had contracted with McCall's the dress pattern company and you could actually purchase um, the Charlotte Clark patterns and make your own Mickey and Minnie at home. So those were the dolls that were available at that time. That's so cool. Yeah. So 
Okay, Jackie, here you go. Your chance to pull ahead. Okay. February 6th. Disneyland rolled this out on February 6th, 1985. Uh, let's see. 85. There's, uh, I, I definitely need multiple choice on it. <laughs> okay. Is it A, Disneyland's 30th anniversary parade? B, the third version of the Disneyland Main Street Electrical Parade, C, Videopolis, or D, a year-round, seven-day-a-week operating schedule? Hmm. 1985. I'm going to say the 30-year, the 30-year, well, gosh, the Main Street Electrical Parade. I don't think that's had that many versions. I'm going to say the the 30-year, you said there was a 30-year special parade. Yeah, gonna, uh, Disneyland's 30th anniversary parade. Anniversary parade. Would I'm be gonna, A. Okay, I'm going to say A. Okay, that is incorrect. Oh. That, that rolled out um, in the spring. Uh, Craig, do you want to give it a try? Yeah, can I just get the... Sure. Can I get sure. it one more time? Sorry. So is it B, the third version of the Disneyland Main Street Electrical Parade, C, Videopolis, or D, a year-round, seven-day-a-week operating schedule? What was the year again? 1985. I am going to say the year-round operating. You are absolutely right. Disneyland began a year-round, seven days a week operation. What people find hard to believe is up until this time, the park was closed on Mondays and Tuesdays during the off-season. That's when they did their maintenance. Oh, my gosh. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I remember that. I want to say Michael just told me that for the first time, like – very not very recently but at least in the past like six months and that was the first time i had heard it Mm -hmm. wow okay so now it's four pardon me of course now they do it overnight when we're all sleeping yeah or in front of everybody yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true too. <laughs> yeah, see, and, and Walt didn't want um he didn't want people to see routine maintenance um during the day. He didn't want I guests to that. see that. So. Yeah. All right. Well it's Craig four, Jackie three, but Jackie, here's your chance to oh no, is it no it's Craig. It's, my turn it's your now. chance. Yeah. Your turn. That's right. Okay, here we go. For February seventh. On Wednesday, February 7th, 2001, enthusiastic Disney fans begin to line up at 5 p.m. before this Disney event on Thursday. February 7th, 2001, start lining up before a Disney event on Thursday. Okay, I'm going to need multiple choice. Okay. Is it A, the final day of the original Journey into Your Imagination attraction at Epcot? B, the final day of the Millennium Village at Epcot? C, the final day of Disneyland's Country Bear Jamboree? Or D, the opening of Disney's California Adventure? 
Oh my goodness. Um See I I know California Adventure opened in 2001, but Thursday seems like such a weird day for a park to open for the first time. But when it first opened up, it was also a strange park. <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah, I, I'm just, uh, I'll, I'll just go with that because none of the others make sense why people would line up at five at night. <laughs> so you're going with D, the opening of Disney's California Adventure? Yeah. You are correct. The diehard Disney fans, they started lining up at 5 p.m. on Wednesday, 15 hours before they 8 a.m. Thursday opening of the of the park. Uh, although Disneyland officials discouraged people from camping out, they did make bathrooms available and a limited amount of food and beverages are offered for sale. On this day, though, Golden Dreams, uh, that attraction was uh, officially dedicated by Disney president Robert Iger, along with Whoopi Goldberg, who was the star of that attraction and they also dedicated the abc soap opera bistro and it was attended by stars of all the different abc daytime um soaps and uh, uh, during the ceremony a representative of each soap donated an item from their show to live permanently at the bistro i wonder where all those items went to (laughs) (laughs) it's just kind of nuts to think that the opening before a brand new Disney park, people were only waiting outside from five o'clock until eight the next day. Considering for a D23 panel, people wait just as much of that time, if not even more. So, mm-hmm. it, like, I, yeah. I cannot imagine the next time Disney opens a domestic park, how long people will be camped out waiting to get in yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Well, Jackie, you probably remember, I mean, that the the word was already out. This was a park that was not up to um, Disneyland standards, shall we say. So the the expected attendance was far below on that first day what the Disneyland executives thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I was kind of surprised, too, that that wait was so short because gosh people were lining up even before five o'clock the day before at the d23 mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah yeah wow. yeah that that part just had a rough go of it from the from day one <laughs> in the beginning yeah. yeah i see i remember um i remember being we went in 2003 and to disneyland was it 2003? I'm losing it now. Now I don't. <laughs> well, well, don't lose it yet because you have your next question here. On February 8th, who received two stars on Hollywood's Walk of Fame on February 8th, 1960? Ooh. Mm-mm-mm. Let's see. Well, that had to be Walt Disney. Pardon me? I think that was Walt Disney. Is that your f- official guess? Yes. You are absolutely correct. Yay! Walt, Walt Disney received two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for television and one for movies. 
So for folks who want to see his stars, the television star is on the north side of the 6700 block of Hollywood Boulevard. And the movie um, star is at the north side of the 7000 block of Hollywood Boulevard. So cool. Yeah. So Jackie, now you've made this tie. Oh, very good. It is six to six. That was a great question to ask me. It was. (laughs) So excited. (laughs) So, um, okay, Craig, here you go for February 9th. February 9th, 2006. This became part of the Walt Disney Company. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we just... This is the same question, same type of question that tripped me up with Rhino when we did this. And back then, I think the answer was Pixar. So maybe that was when they announced it. And maybe this was the date where they finally brought it in. So Pixar? Is that your final guess? Uh, Might as well be. Okay, that is incorrect. Uh, <laughs> so, Jackie, here's your chance to pull ahead by one. Tell me, on the, fe- what was the question again? On February 9th, 2006, this became part of the Walt Disney Company. Now I can give you the the options since, you know, okay. since um, you're, you, you get to take this for one point. A, is it Lucasfilm? B, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit? C, DreamWorks Studio, or D, Studio Ghibli? Is it Ghibli? Yes, Ghibli. Thank you, that's what I thought. Now I'm mad at myself. Uh Uh-oh. Should have taken multiple choice. Oh, dang it. Um, okay. So, it's 2006. Is it Lucasfilm, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, DreamWorks Studio... Those are Studio Ghibli. Well, it's definitely not DreamWorks. I think it's too early to be Lucasfilm. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard of Ghibli. <laughs> oh, gosh. You've probably seen his work, though. I'm sure I have. I'm so bad with remembering certain things as I get older. It's really terrible. <laughs> Mm. I'm trying to think if Oswald was there. If was Oswald there when I first went? Uh, I don't know if he was. So I've probably seen Ghibli. Oh, gosh. We'll guess Ghibli. Okay, that is incorrect. It was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Oh, darn it. the Walt Disney Company reacquired the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit back from NBC Universal, oh. along with sports considerations for ESPN. And this is part of a transaction that permitted the football play-by-play analyst um, Al Michaels to contract with NBC, for which he was a bit bitter about it. <laughs> and just so you know, with uh, Studio Ghibli, Disney has never owned them. Uh, they're still yeah. their own independent company in Japan. So, like, if you've ever heard of Howl's Moving Castle, <laughs> Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, 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 My Neighbor Totoro, 
Spirited Away, any of the big, big Japanese animation, uh, family-friendly films. Yeah. That's that's what it is. Disney does <laughs> distribute, well, they did distribute their films right. in the U.S., but they never actually owned them. Right. Okay. That's right. And I didn't say own, I just said became part of. But yeah, Studio okay. Ghibli, they began distributing their films in 1996. And DreamWorks, Disney, um, went into a film distribution contract with them in 2009. That's probably why I've never heard of those. I didn't, yeah. We never really watched too many of those Japanese animation. Mm-hmm. Well, you should. They're works of okay. art. They're beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's well, we have a tie. So, Craig, you can pull it out here. So, February 10th, this Disneyland opening day attraction closed on February 10th, 1960. I hate that it keeps coming down to this same type (laughs) of question. Uh, Multiple choice. Okay, A, the Crane Company Bathroom of Tomorrow in Tomorrowland. B, the Mickey Mouse Club Theater in Fantasyland. C, the Rainbow Mountain Stagecoach Attraction in Frontierland. Or D, the Main Street Shooting Gallery on Main Street, USA. I will go with... Okay, take one away. All right, let's see. I will take away the Mickey Mouse Club Theater in Fantasyland. Shoot on a stick. Um, golly, I'll go with... I'll go with the Bathroom of Tomorrow. That is incorrect. So that, that closed in August of the same year. But um, Jackie, here's your chance. You have a 50-50 chance here. Was it the Rainbow Mountain Stagecoach Attraction in Frontierland or the Main Street Shooting Gallery on Main Street, USA? Let's see. Just five years after it opened. I feel like a shooting gallery is kind of out of place on main street. So I'm going to guess that one. So your answer is D the main street shooting gallery on main street, USA. Yeah. Okay. And that closed in 1962. It was the rainbow mountain stagecoach attraction in Frontierland. I am so sick of this stagecoach. (laughs) But I I remember riding this when I was a boy, because you could ride shotgun on the top or you could sit inside the coach and you would see uh sites like uh in frontierland like elephant rock horse thief canyon dead man's spring and you'd go along the rivers of america um anyway so it was a lot of fun yeah so we have another tie and and it isn't because I messed up this time. So <laughs> six to six, very good. So Jackie, you have to come back next week so we can see who is the winner. Oh, you know, I can two see. out of three. Yay! Great. So we will look forward to having Jackie with us for next week's this day in Disney history quiz. <laughs>
So join us next time when Craig and I celebrate the Winter Olympics with a show from our Disneyland archives that I did on Walt Disney and the 1960 Winter Olympics at Squaw Valley, California. Nice. So yeah, I'm excited for this one. So for everyone out there who hasn't listened to it yet, for those of you who have heard it before, you know, you can choose whether or not you want to refresh yourselves. Obviously, you should, because it is the perfect time of year, as mm-hmm. Michael just said, with the Winter Olympics here. But yeah, for, for those of you who maybe haven't ever discovered it yet, now's the time. Right. And what'll be fun is you can see uh, what did Walt start that are still in our modern Olympic Games today. And and you might be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners connect with you on the Diz Unplugged network of shows? Of course, you can find me every single... I almost said every single day of the week, which is almost accurate, but you can find me most days of the week on either the Walt Disney World show, the... Universal show, Dreams Unlimited Travel show, uh, the Diz Daily Fix, and of course my recommended way, skip all of that and just follow me on Twitter at Teleclaster. Uh, I mean, that's serious, but also joking. Please, please follow all the shows. <laughs> that's how <laughs> I keep my job, not by Twitter, <laughs> by the shows, but, uh, you know, if you want the side fun, also Twitter. Oh, yeah. What about you, and, Michael? Uh, oh, all the shows are entertaining. <laughs> well, you can email me at michael at wdwinfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. That's the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And Craig has set us up on our new Connecting with Walt Twitter account so that you can connect with both of us about all things in Disney history. Craig, do you want to tell our friends about that? Yep. So we've talked about it the past couple weeks, so I'll keep this brief, but we have continuing to follow more and more people on the channel that are related to Disney history in some way, shape, or form, or people who just like to share good information, so that way we can help spread the message with you about all these little tidbits that just live on the internet, and they they aren't widely seen or stuff that relates to our show that we just find interesting. So uh, it's the best place to follow for just random information that we may forget to post anywhere else. (laughs) And if you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers and Disneyland, check out our Dis Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition archives for my Disney history episodes at www.disunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>